Section 9 of Japanese Girls and Women. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in September 2012. Japanese Girls and Women by Alice M. Bacon. Court Life, Part 1 the court of the emperor was in the early ages of japan the centre of whatever culture and refinement the country could boast and the emperors themselves took an active part in the promotion of civilization the earliest history of japan is so wrapped in the mists of legend and tradition that only here and there do we get glimpses of heroic figures leaders in those early days demigods they seem children of heaven receiving from heaven by special revelation the wisdom or strength by means of which they conquered their enemies or gave to their subjects new arts and better laws the traditional emperors the early descendants of the great jimmu tenno seem to have been merely conquering chieftains who by virtue of their descent were regarded as divine but who lived the simple hardy life of the savage king surrounded by wives and concubines done homage to by armed retainers and subject chiefs but living in rude huts and moving in and out among the soldiers not in the least retired into the mysterious solitude which in later days enveloped the son of the gods the first emperors ruled not only by divine right but by personal force and valour and the stories of the valiant deeds of these early rulers kept strong the faith of the people in the divine qualities of the imperial house during the hundreds of years when the emperor was a mere puppet in the hands of ambitious and powerful nobles footnote the japanese claim for their present emperor direct descent from jimmu tenno the son of the gods and it is for this reason that the emperor is supposed to be divine and the representative of the gods on the earth the dynasty for about twenty five hundred years since jimmu tenno has never been broken it must however be said in connection with this statement that the japanese family is a much looser organization than that known to our western civilization on account of the customs of concubinage and adoption and that descent through family lines is not necessarily actual descent by blood End footnote. towards the end of this legendary period a figure comes into view that for heroic qualities cannot be excelled in the annals of any nation jingo kogo the conqueror of korea who alone among the nine female rulers of japan has made an era in the national history she seems to have been from the beginning like jeanne d'arc a hearer of divine voices and through her was conveyed to her unbelieving husband a divine command to take ship and sail westward to the conquest of an unknown land her husband questioned the authenticity of the message took the earthly and practical view that as there was no land to be seen in the westward there could be no land there and refused to organize any expedition in fulfilment of the command but for his unbelief was sternly told that he should never see the land but that his wife should conquer it for the son whom she should bear after the father's death this message from the gods was fulfilled 
the emperor died in battle shortly after and the empress after suppressing the rebellion in which her husband had been killed proceeded to organize an expedition for the conquest of the unknown land beyond the western sea by as many signs as those required by gideon to assure himself of his divine mission the empress tested the call that had come to her but at last satisfied that the voices were from heaven she gave her orders for the collection of troops and the building of a navy i quote from griffiths the inspiring words with which she addressed her generals the safety or destruction of our country depends upon this enterprise i entrust the details to you it will be your fault if they are not carried out i am a woman and young i shall disguise myself as a man and undertake this gallant expedition trusting to the gods and to my troops and captains we shall acquire a wealthy country the glory is yours if we succeed if we fail the guilt and disgrace shall be mine what wonder that her captains responded to such an appeal and that the work of recruiting and shipbuilding began with a will it was a long preparation that was required sometimes to the impatient woman it seemed unnecessarily slow but by continual prayer and offerings she appealed to the gods for aid and at last all was ready and the brave array of ships set sail for the unknown shore the empress feeling within her the new inspiration of hope for her babe as yet unborn heaven smiled upon them from the start the clearest of skies the most favouring of breezes the smoothest of seas favoured the godsend expedition and tradition says that even the fishes swarmed in shoals about their keels and carried them on to their desired haven the fleet ran safely across to southern korea but instead of finding battles and struggles awaiting them the king of the country met them on the beach to receive and tender allegiance to the invaders whose unexpected appearance from the unexplored east had led the natives to believe that their gods had forsaken them the expedition returned laden with vast wealth not the spoil of battle but the peaceful tribute of a bloodless victory and from that time forward japan through korea and later by direct contact with china itself began to receive and assimilate the civilization arts and religions of china thus through a woman japan received the start along the line of progress which made her what she is today for the sequel of jingo kogo's korean expedition was the introduction of almost everything which we regard as peculiar to civilized countries with characteristic belittling of the woman and exalting of the man the whole martial career of the empress is ascribed to the influence of her son as yet unborn a son who by his valor and prowess had secured for his deified spirit the position of god of war in the japanese pantheon we should say that prenatal influences and heredity produced a heroic son the japanese reason from the other end and show that all the noble qualities of the mother were produced by the influence of the unborn babe with the introduction of literature art and buddhism a change took place in the relations of the court to the people about the emperor's throne there gathered not only soldiers and governors but the learned the accomplished the witty the artistic who found in the emperor and the court nobles magnificent patrons by whom they were supported 
and before whom they laid whatever pearls they were able to produce. The new culture sought not the clash of arms and the shout of soldiers, but the quiet and refinement of palaces and gardens far removed from the noise and clamour of the world. And while emperors sought to encourage the new learning and civilization and to soften the warlike qualities of the people about them, there was a frontier along which the savages still made raids into the territory which the Japanese had wrested from them, and which it required a strong arm and a quick hand to guard for the defence of the people. But the emperor gradually gave up the personal leadership in war, and passed the duty of defending the nation into the hands of one or another of the great noble families. The nobles were not by any means slow to see the advantage to be gained for themselves by the possession of the military power, in an age when might made right even more than it does today, and when force, used judiciously and with proper deference to the prejudices of the people, could be made to give to its possessor power even over the emperor himself. And so, gradually, in the pursuit of the new culture and the new religion, the emperors withdrew themselves more and more into seclusion, and the court became a little world in itself, a centre of culture and refinement into which few excitements of war or politics ever came. While the great nobles wrangled for the possession of the power, schemed and fought and turned the nation upside down, while the heroes of the country rose, lived, fought and died, the emperor, amid his ladies and his courtiers, his priests and his literary men, spent his life in a world of his own, thinking more of this pair of bright eyes, that new and charming poem, the other witty saying of those about him, than of the kingdom that he ruled by divine right, and retiring, after ten years or so of puppet kinghood, from the seclusion of his court to the deeper seclusion of some Buddhist monastery. Within the sacred precincts of the court much time was given to such games and pastimes as were not too rude or noisy for the refinement that the new culture brought with it. Polo, football, hunting with falcons, archery, etc., were exercises not unworthy of even the most refined of gentlemen, and certain noble families were trained hereditarily in the execution of certain stately, antique dances, many of them of Chinese or Korean origin. The ladies, in trailing garments and with flowing hair, reaching often below the knees, played a not inconspicuous part, not only because of their beauty and grace, but for their quickness of wit, their learning in the classics, their skill in repartee, and their quaint fancies which they embodied in poetic form. Footnote in ancient times before the long civil wars of the middle ages much attention was given by both men and women to poetry and many of the classics of japanese literature are the works of women among these distinguished writers can be mentioned murasaki shikibu seisho nagon and iseno taiyu all court ladies in the time of the emperor ichijo about one thousand a d the court at that time was the centre of learning, and much encouragement was given by the emperor to literary pursuits, the cultivation of poetry and music. The emperor gathered around him talented men and women, but the great works that remain are, strange to say, mostly those of women. 
End footnote. Much attention was given to that harmony of art with nature that the Japanese taste makes the sine qua non of all true artistic effort. The gorgeously embroidered gowns must change with the changing season, so that the cherry succeeds the plum, the wisteria the cherry, and so on, through the whole calendar of flowers, upon the silken robes of the court, as regularly as in the garden that graces the palace grounds. And so with the confectionery, which in Japan is made in dainty imitation of flowers and fruits. The chrysanthemum blooms in sugar no earlier than on its own stalk. The little golden orange, with its dark green leaves, is on the confectioner's list in winter, when the real orange is yellow on its tree. The very decorations of the palace must be changed with the changing of the months, and kakemono and vase are alternately stored in the kura and brought out to decorate the room, according as their designs seem in harmony with the mood of nature. This effort to harmonize nature and art is seen today not only in the splendid furnishings of the court, but all through the decorative art of Japan. In every house the decorations are changed to suit the changing seasons. Through the years when Japan was adopting the civilization of China, a danger threatened the nation, the same danger that threatens it today, it was the danger lest the adoption of so much that was foreign should result in a servile copying of all that was not Japanese, and lest the introduction of literature, art, and numerous hitherto unknown luxuries should take from the people their independence, patriotism, and manliness. But this result was happily avoided, and at a time when the language was in danger of being swept almost out of existence by the introduction of Chinese learning through Chinese letters, the women of Japan, not only in their homes and conversation, but in the poetry and lighter literature of the country, preserved a strain of pure and graceful Japanese, and produced some of the standard works of a distinctly national literature. Favorite court today, as in the olden times, is the reward, not of mere rank, beauty, and grace of person, but must be obtained through the same intellectual endowments polished by years of education that made so many women famous in the medieval history of Japan. Many court ladies have read much of their national literature, so that they are able to appreciate the bon mots which contain allusions in many cases to old poems or plays on words, and are able to write and present to others, at fitting times, those grateful but untranslatable turns of phrase which form the bulk of Japanese poetry. Footnote. The court ladies in immediate contact with the emperor and empress are selected from the daughters of the nobles. Only in the present reign have a few samurai women risen to high positions at court on account of special talents. End footnote. Even in this busy era of Meiji, the emperor and his court keep up the old-time customs and strive to promote a love of the beautiful poetry of Japan. Footnote. Meiji, enlightened rule, is the name of the era that began with the present emperor's accession to the throne. The year A.D. 1890 is the twenty-third year of Meiji, and would be so designated in all Japanese dates. End footnote. 
at each new year some subject appropriate to the time is chosen and publicly announced poems may be written upon this subject by any one in the whole realm and may be sent to the palace before a certain date fixed as the time for closing the list of competitors all the poems thus sent are examined by competent judges who select the best five and send them to the emperor an honour more desired by the writers than the most favourable of reviews or the largest of emoluments are desired by american poets many of the other poems are published in the newspapers it is interesting to note that many of the prominent men and women of the country are known as competitors and that many of the court ladies join in the contest there are also at the palace frequent meetings of the poets and lovers of poetry connected with the court at these meetings poems are composed for the entertainment of the emperor and empress as well as for the amusement of the poets themselves in the school recently established for the daughters of the nobles under the charge of the imperial household much attention is given to the work of thoroughly grounding the scholars in the japanese language and literature and also to making them skilful in the art of composing poetry at the head of the school in the highest position held by any woman in the employ of the government is a former court lady who is second to none in the kingdom not only in her knowledge of all that belongs to court etiquette but in her study of the history and literature of her own people and in her skill in the composition of these dainty poems a year or two ago when one of the scholars in the school died after a brief decline her schoolmates teachers and school friends wrote poems upon her death which they sent to the bereaved parents it is difficult for any japanese much more so for a foreigner to penetrate into the seclusion of the palace and see anything of the life there except what is shown to the public in the occasional entertainments given at court such as formal receptions and dinner parties in eighteen eighty nine the new palace built on the side of the old tokugawa castle burnt seventeen years ago was finally completed and it was my privilege to see before the removal of the court not only the grand reception rooms throne room and dining room but also the private apartments of the emperor and the empress the palace is built in japanese style surrounded by the old castle moats but there are many foreign additions to the palace and grounds it is heated and lighted in foreign style and the larger rooms are all furnished after the magnificent manner of european palaces while the lacquer-work carvings and gorgeous panelled ceilings remind one of the finest of japanese temples the private apartments of the emperor and empress are on the other hand most simple and in thorough japanese style and though the woodwork and polished floors of the corridors are very beautiful the paintings and lacquer-work most exquisite there is little in this simplicity to denote the abode of royalty it seems that their majesties though outwardly conforming to many european customs and to the european manner of dress prefer to live in japanese ways on matted not carpeted floors reposing on them rather than on chairs and bedsteads footnote the bed on which the empress sleeps is made of heavy futons or quilts of white habutai wadded with silk wadding 
the bed clothing consists of as many similar futons as the state of the weather may require every month new futons are provided for her majesty and the discarded ones are given to one of her attendants the happy recipient is thus provided with wadding enough for all her winter dresses for the rest of her life as well as with a good supply of dress material End footnote. the apartments are not large each suit consisting of three rooms opening out of each other the empress's rooms being slightly smaller than the emperor's and those of the young prince haru the heir apparent again a little smaller the young prince has a residence of his own and it is only on his visits that he occupies his apartments in his father's palace there are also rooms for the empress dowager to occupy on her occasional visits all of these apartments are quite close together in one part of the palace and are connected by halls but the private rooms of the court ladies are in an entirely separate place quite removed and only connected with the main building by a long narrow passageway running through the garden there in the rooms assigned to them each one has her own private establishment where she stays when she is not on duty in attendance on the emperor and empress each lady has her own servants and sometimes a younger sister or a dependent may be living there with her though they are entirely separate from the court and the life there and must never be seen in any of the other parts of the building in these rooms which are like little homes in themselves cooking and housekeeping are done entirely independent of the other parts of the great palace and the tradesmen find their way through some back gate to these little establishments supplying them with all the necessaries of life as well as the luxuries end of court life part one